The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from thought leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to address societal topics, and more importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, well, we had a lot of buzzwords today. Quota is one. Sales is one. Social is one. Selling is one. A lot of buzz. Uh, let me just tell you about a little article I saw at entrepreneur.com uh, dated March 15th, which is just a couple of weeks ago, entitled, Why the Future of New Business is Social Selling. And the article opens with the following statement. If you thought social media was just about being social, think again. Today it's about social selling. So that tells you a little about what we're talking about today. And let me add some more meat to the fire here. A 2013 Aberdeen Social Selling Study. That's over two years ago, revealed that 64% of sales teams that use social selling are meeting their quota compared to just under 50% of teams who ignored social media not getting to the quota so much. This raises some critical questions for your company. Let me just rattle off a couple questions and then I'll introduce our panel. Number one, is social selling just trendy? Is it for millennials? You know who they are. Or is it a personality booster for your inverts or ambiverts? New word we'll talk about later. Question number two, can a seasoned account executive in AE or even a newbie salesperson succeed without having a digital footprint or a Twitter handle or even knowing what a hashtag is? Question number three. This is a key one. Is social selling just an excuse to kill time online instead of doing the hard work of cold calling and cold emailing prospects the old-fashioned way? Question number four. Is social selling more effective in certain industries in specific regions? You certainly will want to know that. And the last question I have, perhaps the most important of all, does your sales team need a social media social selling strategy or do you just let them go wild? We have a great panel today, three experts on the topic. Can't wait to introduce them to you. First up on the panel is Kurt Shaver. He's the CEO of the Sales Foundry. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Kurt has sent me a wonderful, very well-known quote from Mark Twain. Those of you who don't remember much about Twain, his original name was Samuel Longhorn Clemens, known by Mark Twain, an American author and humorist. He wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which was also called The Great American Novel. Okay, and here's the quote. The reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Kurt Shaver, you are alive and well. Welcome to Meet the Visionaries. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great this morning, Bonnie. Thank you. Looking forward to talking about social selling. Wonderful. That's why you're here, my friend. So talk to me. Interesting quote from Mark Twain. 
Mark Twain, who died, whose death is exaggerated, and what does this have to do with social selling? Give us an overview, Kurt. Sure. Well, I've always loved that quote, but I never thought that it would actually apply to me. And when I say me, I'm saying that from the uh, persona as a career B2B salesperson. You know, when uh, the Internet came on, let's say maybe 20 years ago, and things like e-commerce and shopping carts all started popping up and everybody started buying their books on Amazon, everybody started to think, hey, maybe that's going to be the end of salespeople, right? Buyers, whether consumer or B2B, can they can just go online, go to electronic catalog and find things and buy it. So, you know, they don't need salespeople anymore to give them product information and help mm-hmm. them uncover needs. It's all going to be self-service driven by the Internet. And there are actually articles written about the you know death of the B2B salesperson. They were going to all disappear. And uh, so luckily, we've kind of been saved, really, not by the Internet, but actually by social networks, because you know, if you think of what social networks are doing, they kind of do a lot of what salespeople have always done. It's all about building relationships and connecting with people and sharing in for valuable information with your customers. And so uh, luckily, social networks have come along and really put the salesperson in a very important position for both the customer and their company. And so I'm looking forward to (laughs) surviving and talking about it here on the show. Very interesting. Thank you for the overview, Kurt. You know, years ago, and maybe still ongoing, we hear people saying email and Internet and social media, they're not social, they're not relationship builders, they're isolating us. I don't know if anybody's still saying that, but I still hear it from time to time, kind of more of a whisper than a shout today, Kurt. So you still believe that relation, you believe that relationships are enhanced and are forged and are created by a knowledge of, a familiarity with, a comfort level with, and the savvy of being good at social and social selling? Yes? Absolutely, right? I mean, building relationships, it's all about finding rapport, finding commonalities, right? Being able to to provide value back and forth in the relationship Mm -hmm. and in that exchange. And again, the social platforms just really support that. And they support it at scale. That's probably what's the real big difference. Aha. So when I said in my intro, the question of is social selling an excuse to kill time online instead of cold calling or cold emailing, you're just doing one at a time and waiting for a callback or God, would somebody please pick up the damn phone? Right, Right. Kurt? And when you're social, you have a chance to have a much bigger presence. And I guess the key here, we have to mention the word authentic. Nobody wants you to be selling up the wazoo while you're talking to them. But we'll get into that later. Thank you, Kurt. Delighted to have you here. We'll talk to you a little later about what the sales foundry is and what you do. And now let me bring on our second panelist. She is Kirsten Boyleau, Director of Digital Startup, leading the SAP Social Business and Social Selling Initiatives for SAP Global Marketing. That's a very big title. It must be a long business card, Kirsten. And here's the <laughs> quote she sent me from Victor Borga. My goodness, this goes way back in time. Victor Borga was a Danish comedian, a conductor, and a pianist. Kirsten, you're way too young to remember him, but I think I vaguely remember him on TV when I was a little girl. And he lived from 1909 to 2000, a very rich life. His original name was Borga Rosenbaum. And here's the quote, laughter is the shortest distance between two people. Are we laughing and social selling at the same time, or are we just very happy? Kirsten Boyleau, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show today. Delighted. Talk to me about the quote from Victor Borka. You don't even remember seeing or hearing him ever, do you? <laughs> I don't. No, no, I don't. Um, although I'm 
probably not as young as you think I am. Um, but I, I love to laugh. Laughter is one of my favorite things. I, you know, laughter is the best medicine. I, you know, I, I've always loved that quote since I was a little girl. Um, but I just, um, as an inside salesperson and, and in customer service and business development over the last, you know, 20 years, um, I have always found that if I could make my, the person I had reached out to who had actually picked up the phone, if I could make them laugh, I could instantly create relationship with them. And, to, you know, to bounce off of what Kurt and you were talking about in, in regards to building relationship and sales is all about relationships, if you could, I always felt that if I could make someone laugh, I could instantly build a rapport with them and start to build that relationship that's so absolutely critical to um, being successful in sales. And so I think, I don't necessarily think that, um, you know, you're going to initially instantly make someone your your best friend if you uh, get them to laugh with you, or that um, you know sharing uh, always sharing funny things on social is going to you know you're going to build your your this huge network. But I do think that if you can make people laugh when you do connect with them, that it it, it really helps to to build those relationships, and and um, it's key to being successful in sales. I couldn't agree more, Kirsten, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up. We don't tip, well, one thing we do here on SAP Game Changers Radio, I, I told all of you when I met you on our prep calls recently, is that we actually have the audacity to laugh in the context of a business conversation. So I am a firm believer in that. I was once a stand-up comedian. Now I just try to be funny sitting down. But I'm very pleased that you brought this up, Kirsten, because that sense of humor, that camaraderie is part of relationship building, and we can weave that into the conversation conversation later. So glad you could join us today. And let's introduce our third panelist. Door number three is Jim Fields, Vice President of Customer Experience Marketing for SAP. And I think customer experience is a key phrase we need to work into the conversation also. Jim sent me a quote from Chili Davis uh, talking about original names. His original name is, or real name, is Charles Theodore Chili Davis. He's a Jamaican-American former baseball player and currently the hitting coach for the Boston Red Sox since October 2014. Here's the quote. Growing old is mandatory. Growing up is optional. I don't want to grow up. That's a quote from Peter Pan, too. Jim Fields, welcome. How are you today? Hey, I am great, Bonnie. Thank you. Talk to me about this quote. How did Chili Davis get on a show about the visionaries and the game changers? So I think that quote is all about attitude, right? And, um, the tendency that people have as they get older is that they tend to um, be either they make a conscious choice or it gets beaten out of them by life and their inner child kind of recedes into the background and so they stop looking at things in new ways and asking you know why is something a certain way or why not and I think um, it's it's critical for us uh, in this day and age, as things are changing so quickly, to remain relevant, you really need to look at things through almost through the eyes of a child. And uh, if you do that, you you will stay relevant, and you'll also find um, opportunities to engage with people in ways that um, you know will will be able to delight them and and yourself. Couple of good keywords in there, Jim Fields. Relevant and delight. I think we're going to have to make a list of top words we're going to be talking about today. Very interesting. Um, the idea of relevance. What do they say, Jim? In sales, you got to be where the customer is. You have to go where people are. You can't sit there in your ivory tower or your basement office in a corner somewhere using the old-fashioned Rolodex. Uh, not an e-Rolodex, but just the the thing with the the cards and the handwritten notes and spinning it around, calling a hundred numbers 
numbers and hoping somebody answers the phone or will even talk to you. So you have to be out there. Relevance is a big thing in social selling, isn't it, Jim? Being in the right place at the right time with the right message for the right person, would you say? I, I think it is. And um, you mentioned the word authenticity before. I think they go mm-hmm. hand in hand in that, you know, nothing um, damages your, you know, online brand faster than being um, too eager to push somebody in a particular direction, too eager to advocate something that, as a point of view, that clearly is, um, uh, you know, has an agenda behind it. People really uh, turn off to that. And so, um, you know, if I have one piece of advice for people who get into this world of social selling that we'll be talking more about is um, don't think of it as selling. Think of it as a conversation. Think of it as um, relationship building. Um, and, and, and the selling will come naturally if you do that well. I like that. Selling will come naturally. I think that's what we're all looking for. Good comments from everyone. I'm going to dial back to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the allergies still are not going away. And, and Brad's going to try and clean this up for me. I'm going to circle back to Kurt Shaver, CEO of the Sales Foundry. Kurt, I have a very important question for you. I know you're prepared for this. Because Meet the Visionary Game Changers Radio is part of our bigger series, Coffee Break with Game Changers, I'm going to ask you, what are you drinking right now while you're on the air, or what do you prefer to drink once you're off the radio with us today? Kurt Shaver, talk to me. Well, I'll answer both. I live in Sonoma County, California, which is one hour north of San Francisco, and so You know, the Wine Country Tourism Bureau would like for me to tell you that I'm sipping a nice glass of Sonoma Valley Chardonnay or Russian River Pinot Noir, (laughs) but it's a little early for that, especially on the West Coast. So I've got some mocha-flavored iced coffee going right now. It's a fairly new habit for me because I don't drink coffee, but my sister left a uh, half carton in my refrigerator when she house-sat a few months ago, and... I tried it and liked it, so maybe I'll have my wine later this evening. Well, we certainly hope you will, and report back and tell us what exactly you put in your cup. Thank you very much, or your glass, Kurt Shaver. Thank you. Kristen Boileau, are you in Canada today, and what are you drinking? I am. I actually just arrived from uh, Toronto. I took red-eye from Palo Alto to Toronto uh, overnight, and uh, I have a actually an entire pot of uh, Tetley tea in front of me so that I can stay awake uh, through our discussion today. Um, tea is my go-to beverage. I, I drink it all day long, probably six or, and on a good day, bad day maybe, uh, ten cups of tea a day. <laughs> really? Now, now, Kirsten, I have to ask, what kind of caffeine hit are you getting from ten cups of that kind of dark, the, the real fully loaded high-test tea? What do you get from that? A buzz? Dare no, I ask? No, just... Just you know, it, I I don't like coffee. I don't like the taste of coffee, and I think I probably would you know really get a good buzz from from a cup of coffee. But a, ten cups of tea is about equivalent to about five cups of coffee in terms of caffeine. So, wow, I've never asked that question before. Good to know. Maybe I'll switch over to tea. It'll go a little farther. Thank you, Kirsten, and thanks for being on with us, Jim Fields. Where are you? What time of day is it? And what drinkest thou? Hey, Bonnie, I'm uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and it's a little after 10 in the morning here. And I grew up in the great borough of Brooklyn, New York, back in the day, ah. before, before the hipsters moved in and turned Brooklyn into a, a global brand. Uh, it mm-hmm. was actually uh, the poor cousin to uh, the borough of Manhattan. 
And in those days, we drank something that we called coffee. And you, you probably are used to that pronunciation, being a New Yorker you're, yourself. You're killing me. You're killing me. Go ahead. So what are you drinking so now, I, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm not a fancy guy. I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee with a little bit of half and half in it. <laughs> what kind of coffee are you drinking? Uh, what is there a brand? Is there a flavor? Is it full calf, half calf, decaf? What is it? Come on. I go for the half and half. I find that I can drink more coffee that way, and it doesn't give me as much of a crazy buzz. Okay, we don't want you to have a crazy buzz. Full strength. I see. Thank you for indulging my question. I'm here on the North Shore of Long Island, Jim. I think you know that, and in Great Neck specifically. Uh, if I stand outside on my, my terrace, which is only on the fourth floor just above the street, and wave really hard, I don't know, maybe somebody in Brooklyn will see me, but that's probably very doubtful. But anyway, I'm glad you're with us, and you can drop the accent now. It's fine. <laughs> we are talking today about, we're having a good time, actually. We're talking about social selling for those of you who are in the selling profession or want to be our big topic today, the big key question is, is your quota just a click away? We're speaking with Kurt Shaver, the CEO of the Sales Foundry, Kirsten Boyleau at SAP Social Business and Social Selling Initiatives, and Jim Fields at SAP VP for Customer Experience Marketing. Good panel, great Great attitude. They're all experts on the topic of social selling. I know you're going to learn a lot. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will start the roundtable. Kurt Shaver, you're going to do the honors, and we're going to kick it off with some interesting comments from your notes. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and a shout-out to Akua Odoi, one of the sponsors of this series. She is tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. Don't let Akua be lonely. Somebody go out there and tweet along with her. I'm going to retweet everything I see during the show. We'll be right back after the the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world is at an inflection point where we capture more information than ever before and are more interconnected. While this has led to technological breakthroughs where new industries have been created, there are still new areas evolving where billions of people can be reached. All it takes is to unlock the transformative power of technological change to improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Meet the Visionary Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Meet the Visionary Game Changers. Welcome back. I'm here today with Kurt Shaver at the Sales Foundry and Kirsten Boyleau and Jim Fields at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and our topic today, our visionary topic is social selling. Is your quota 
a click away. Kurt Shaver and my other panelists sent me some wonderful notes on the topic, and we're going to kick off the roundtable 30 minutes nonstop. You all know the drill with Kurt. Kurt, I'm looking at your copious notes here, and here's something very interesting. You say there are three stages of corporate social selling. One is every rep for themselves. Number two is strategic, and number three is system support. Why don't you take us through a little bit of definitions, level setting, so we know what this is all about. Go ahead, Kurt. Sure, and the key word there to differentiate it is we're talking about a corporate social selling. So the first stage, every rep for themselves, some people call it random acts of social. Uh, that's basically where everybody's just doing their own thing, right? And it's really because social applications like LinkedIn and Twitter are generally free, and people just have them when they walk in the door. So some reps really learn how to use it and, and are using it well and getting production out of it. Uh, the vast majority are often kind of just dabbling in it. They, you know, have an account but aren't really uh, proactive in getting results. And then you may actually have some people that are uh, using it poorly and maybe even damaging themselves and or their company reputation, as as Jim had talked about a little bit earlier. So uh, that's the Wild West of social where the company really isn't doing anything about it. I mean, imagine if a company did the same thing with their CRM system and let every rep do their own thing with their own tool. So level two is strategic, where the company recognizes that, hey, some of these reps are really killing it using some of these modern tools and techniques. Maybe we should standardize things. Maybe we should extract these best practices, train the rest of the reps to it. Maybe we should have some policies and guidelines to kind of have some bare minimums. And so that's where the company now is addressing it by training and management and those types of things. Uh, the third level... Uh, really is where then sales, the company is actually going to bring in some system, I mean, usually software, but something that's actually going to support that strategic view. And again, there are a lot of parallels with the CRM world here, but uh, in the social world, uh, again, because everybody has these individual accounts, you need some kind of, a, of an overriding software or system that's going to stitch all these things together to provide a dashboard to sales management so that they can identify trends and recognize best practices and actually coach people to get the maximum out of it. So the three levels are, you know, every rep for themselves, strategic or system supported. Kurt, do a lot of reps want to stay in their early stage of every rep for themselves, random access, social? Do they want strategic and system support, or do they want to be mavericks? And I love your phrase, the Wild West. I used that on a show yesterday, and I didn't think anybody else said that anymore, so thank you. Uh, so the question is, do some reps just want to be out there? They want to be mavericks. They want to be doing it on their own, and that's their preference. What do you, th- what do you observe? Uh, well, of course, some do, right? But that's really just uh, psychological. That's not financially driven because if their objective and goal is to maximize their income, then they're going to want to go into the strategic and the system support because all of the things that it brings, it brings uh, involvement by the marketing department. It, it brings okay. the um, sharing by looking at best practices of what everybody else is doing. So uh, it depends what their motivation is. But if their motivation is maximizing their production, then they need the company really needs to get into levels two and three. Want to good? I'm glad to hear that. Kirsten Boylo, join us. Thoughts on what Kurt put on the table for us? Agree? Disagree? Uh, I agree very much. So I, I think there may be a stage between two and three that is, um, you know, you, you, as the as a 
corporation, you, you've recognized that there is uh, a need for um, for something that that supports the reps, but you're not quite that at that full integration into CRM stage yet. And you know, you're in the midst of you know pulling all the the pieces together. That may be you know maybe it's a a halfway stage between two and three, but I absolutely agree that there are definitely stages like that. The other point I want to um, actually respond to was around your question about what do the reps feel like, and mm-hmm. all of the reps that I've talked to recently have have asked for uh, more training. They, there's an inherent, almost a fear of, um, you know, uh, ruining their reputation or, or um, saying something wrong because it is such a worldwide, you know, big stage when they start to enter into the social realm, and uh, there, there's a lot of hesitation around um, actually participating in that conversation there. They're a little bit afraid of, of making a wrong move, and they often ask for, I need more training, I need more support to be able to, to feel comfortable enough to actually participate. Um, that's where I'm seeing a lot, of, uh, a lot of conversations happening around that area. Very interesting. Is there a generational aspect to this or a generational uh, skew, shall we say, Kirsten, in terms of the, the salespeople who've been around a long time and this is really, really new versus the M-word, the millennials, the digital natives, if you will, who cut their teeth and grew up on, on digital, on social, on mobile devices, and they're just super comfortable and they're just eager to go and they think they get the whole thing. Any observation there on the, on the age or the generational impact on this observation? Uh, I would absolutely say there is an impact. The age has an impact. Um, but I wouldn't say that there's a, a difference between um, how engaged they are. I mean, some millennials are, are not engaged. A lot of them actually don't get social from a business perspective. They, they very much get it from a, mm. from a personal perspective. They don't necessarily get it from a business perspective and how, you know, how to build your brand and, and how to listen and how to then share um, according to what you've listened to and, and you know, understand about your audience. Um, they often don't quite get that piece of it. They, they, the tools, you know, the actual platforms, they absolutely have a great grasp on that and, and move very quickly once they understand how to use them. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, the, uh, the reps that are, you know, very seasoned reps, they have a vested interest in actually becoming part of the social conversation. And uh, they're often very, very um, enthusiastic and willing to learn. Not all of them, of course, but um, many of them mm-hmm. are willing to learn. Yep. Great comments. Thank you, Kirsten. Jim Fields, join us. Thoughts? Agree, disagree with anything or everything that Kurt and Kirsten have talked about so far? Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, Kirsten's points um, about where kind of where the typical sales rep is in the maturity curve of social selling at this point. We're still very much, I think, uh, mostly at the missionary stage where we are getting um, sales teams to understand the power of social selling and really the need to become um, engaged in social selling strategies and tactics. And what we're finding is, um, yes, they do want training, um, but they also want content, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they, they're, to Kirsten's point about they don't know how to engage, they don't know what to say, they want to establish themselves as thought leaders in their particular space, right? Because you don't want to come off as, hey, I'm just a sales guy looking for business, you know, connect with me. So you need to find what's your personal um, brand or 
which the voice that you bring to those conversations, and that really needs to be uh, buttressed by great content, whether it's curated content from uh, uh, third parties or stuff that you create yourself or typically a mix of both. And that's where I think as um, you know, marketing organizations uh, continue to evolve, the ability for them to enable their frontline salespeople with the kinds of content that will drive people to engage is really the next generation of where marketing needs to move, um, you know, along with uh, the sales organization. And then uh, just a comment on the millennials. Mm-hmm. So I happened to have breakfast this morning with my daughter and her cousin, who were both uh, in their early 20s. And we talked about, the ra- you know, the topic of the radio um, broadcast mm-hmm. today. And they said, you know, we hate being called millennials. We hate you telling us what we're like. Uh-huh. Uh, and 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 we pretty much hate LinkedIn, but then Ooh. they then they said we understand that it has its place and it's a necessary tool for us in business. In fact, some of them and some of their friends have gotten jobs and internships through using, you know, LinkedIn connections and find either being found or finding opportunities through LinkedIn. Um, but there, the whole they were very um, skeptical of the concept of people like us, the people on this call, sharing content through their networks to try and look, you know, smart or whatever. So I think there's a very, there's a lot of nuance to, to how people need to engage um, online and particularly with, you know, the younger uh, generation who, who really do have their antenna up for, like, mom and dad getting into their game of social. Thank you, Jim. Very interesting remarks, and, and uh, we're on the M Word Millennials, and I have a note here that Kurt Shaver at the Sales Foundry has a case study he wants to share, and the question in my opening was, is social selling for everyone in sales or mainly just for millennials? Since you brought up your case study, it's time for Kurt to share his. Go ahead, Kurt. Yeah, this is always uh, my poster child that I talk about whenever this subject comes up, so I was doing a social selling training program for a, a large regional business insurance company, and we had about 50 people in the class, and the, uh, the chairman of the company kind of surprised me, and he sat in on it. This was actually a four-week program we were doing, and um, so he, he decided, yeah, I'm, I'm going to check it out. So he, he kind of went through the, the whole class. Um, and the punchline of this is after four weeks uh, and, and 51 people in the class, he turned out to be the biggest social selling geek, right, particularly biggest LinkedIn geek of the entire class. And really it comes down to when the light bulb went off in his head that LinkedIn was essentially the Rolodex of the 21st century, right, mm-hmm. he, he realized he had the best Rolodex in the company, right, if, if not the industry. This guy has, has worked at this same company for 48 years. Right? I mean, you can look him up on LinkedIn. It shows 48 years' experience at this company, and it's his second job. So, uh, like I said, he, he's, he's 70 years old, but he realized that, that he's, it's all there, right? It's the business connections. It's the Chamber of Commerce. It's the country club he belongs to. It's serving on the United Way board. He's a trustee at the mm-hmm. university, you know, his alumni university. So it's not, yeah, it's absolutely not an age thing. I think Mick Kirsten may have said it. It's, it's an attitude thing, and uh, the fact is it's, it's a social networking and you know sometimes the the older people have the best networks he's what we would call a 70 something millennial 
<laughs> and I'm going to join him in, in, in a, a handful of years. I'm going to join him being one of those. But what's interesting, uh, what you just brought up, Kurt, very interesting, uh, a, a message to the, the, we'll call them the junior millennials or the millennial millennials, is that every connection you make along the way matters. Because when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, you can say, oh, I know that name. I met him. I met her. I was a member of that committee. I belong to that organization. I talk to that person. Am I right, Kurt? It all matters. It all builds that network. This particular man you mentioned didn't just have all those experiences in the last 30 days or the last three years. This is a lifetime of connecting, correct? Oh, absolutely. I, I had a story just yesterday, Bonnie, we didn't talk about it. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, oh, my gosh, I just, he goes, I just realized that a guy that used to be a sales rep for me is taking over for John Chambers at Cisco. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It all matters, and, and if kids would just get that, that everything you do, every place you dip your toe becomes part of your digital footprint everywhere you go, and one day you're going to look back, look back and say, I should have shaken that person's hand, I should have made that phone call, I should have beefed up my LinkedIn profile, or I shouldn't have gone to that party. What can I say? It all matters. Let's move on with a slightly different look at this topic. Kirsten Boyleau, I'm looking at your notes, and I have an interesting place I'd like to go with you. You say you must build a foundation to develop your social interactions upon. And here's the key to what I want to talk with you, Christian. You say having a robust digital profile is key to that foundation. And I have to mention that you were recently recognized in an article on Forbes.com for the strength of your LinkedIn profile and your personal brand. So congratulations. That's why you're here. You're an expert. So Kirsten, talk to us. What is a robust digital profile and LinkedIn? Does it matter? Should we move on from away from it? Is it going to be here in a long time from now? Talk to me. Oh, thank you for the mention about the Forbes article. It was mm-hmm. I was very honored to be uh, mentioned in that article. Um, I absolutely think that having a digital profile, having a strong digital profile, is going to be key to no matter what role you play in um, in, a, in an organization, uh, CEO down to um, you know uh, telemarketers and. Um, Anyone in between, in, in, de- in development, in legal, in finance, in sales, it all boils down to what kind of digital profile do you have? How can people look you up? How can they get to know you, understand what you're all about before ever reaching out to you? Uh, it's interesting how much it's so, it's important for us to, um, when people set up a meeting with us, that we want them to, to come to that meeting having some sort of connection, having some sort of interest in what, who we are and what we have to talk about and being prepared to talk about things that are going to be of interest to us. Um, we want people to, to know something about us so that when um, we do have that, that connection with them that they say, hey, you know what, I, I recognize that you're part of this organization and I you know, serve with them too, or um, I see that this is something that's really, really important to you and I want to talk to you about how you can um, you know, how we can help you uh, implement that within your organization. Those are things that are really, they're going to hit home to us, and that's going to what, is what ends up making that sale for the, for the sales rep. But on the other side of the spectrum, whether it's a, you're a developer or in finance or in legal, all of those things are important for you to grow your, yourself as a, um, 
in your career, but as a thought leader, as someone who knows something about the the, the role that you play, the line of business that you're in, um, and, and, you know, you, you can develop a brand and a re- reputation as someone who really knows what they're talking about and can add value to a conversation. Thank you, Kristen. Jim Fields, jump in. Thoughts? Agree, disagree? Yeah, what I've found is a lot of people stand on the sidelines and don't really understand the power of engaging in social networks and social selling until they have that time where they get the aha moment, right? Mm-hmm. A quick story, we, have a new, we had a new chief marketing officer join the company about six months ago, and she was coming to meet us for the first time, uh, the North American Marketing Leadership Team. And I noticed uh, through LinkedIn that a person who I, I hadn't known, who turned out to be her executive assistant, had downloaded uh, my profile from LinkedIn and, and had also done the same with my, my peers. And prior to the meeting, that became her briefing book on who she was going to meet. And when I mentioned that to um, you, you know my peers on the team, the ones who had bad profiles were really nervous. I have to say, mm. and they immediately came to uh, to me and the guys on our team who um, are you know social leads and said, "Help me update my profile." So you really only need to you know to have that one moment um, to to spark you know your your interest in getting involved. And uh, I, I see it a lot. Our salespeople are always sending us. Um, you know, notes that they've gotten from from customers or prospects, potential customers, mm-hmm. saying, um, "Hey, yeah, let's meet next week." And you know, their their note back to us is, "Hey, I wouldn't have gotten this if I didn't do some of the tactics that you trained us on in our social selling class." And, and once you have that firsthand experience of it, you never go back. You just you just go forward. You know, um, more aggressively. Thank you. Very good points. Kurt Shaver, I know you have a stake in the ground in this because you recently sent me a wonderful little video uh, called What Do You Need in your LinkedIn Summary, and I was fascinated. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your take on what you should or shouldn't say in your LinkedIn profile, Kurt? Well, yeah, I mean, Kirsten and Jim have, have really laid the groundwork for it, so I'll just throw in a, a another real specific example that I call the the six-figure headline because I I often tell people I think the headline is the biggest bang for the buck in terms of um, branding that you can have in terms of your LinkedIn profile. So um, I was doing a a training, another training class for a company. And of course, when you walk in the door, every rep in their headline, it says account executive, account executive, account executive, right? It says their title. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, what you really want in the headline is a customer-oriented benefit statement, right? I mean, that, it's your billboard, and you've got to grab people in five seconds about why they should click through to your profile. So, um, so one of the guys in the class changed his. They provided uh, customer engagement and loyalty programs to Fortune 500 companies. And so he changed his to read something like, um, you know, hey, I provide customer engagement solutions to... Uh, construction and business material companies. So he was focused in a vertical market. Mm-hmm. So he changed his headline to that. And I asked volunteers, and he read his. And I said, "Oh, you you work in that vertical?" I said, "I just got I just got finished training um, the country's number one business materials supplier on LinkedIn training two months ago. Are they a customer?" And he said, "No, I've been trying to get into those guys for six months." And mm-hmm. I said, "Well." I'm buddies with the VP of sales now. I can make an introduction to you. He said that would be great. 
so I made the introduction. These guys were actually looking for that program, and this guy closed a six-figure customer engagement program within three months. Their usual sales cycle was nine. And it's all because, it's all because he was specific enough in his headline. I mean, it was just a coincidence. I happened to see it. But the point is, somebody saw the specificity of what he did in his headline, and that triggered the sales cycle. Very, very interesting. I absolutely yeah, Kirsten, I know this is this is your area of expertise and passion as well. Uh, Kurt, I'm, I'm just going to send people to the Sales Foundry, F-O-U-N-D-R-Y dot com, to take a look at this short video and some very interesting points. You have a perspective I've never seen before in terms of starting with a question that will, as you say, Kurt, self-identify the customer, or I think it would work for somebody who's looking for a job or a position or a new career. Would you agree with that, Kurt? It worked for anybody. Oh, uh, you're just bringing up so many um, stories I can think of. The, the best, <laughs> let's talk about college kids. Uh, I was so impressed. I, I came across this one young woman's headline, and I use it in my seminars. So she was a college senior. Okay, She was a student, a college senior, and her headline read, um, I, I am an aspiring award-winning digital marketer for a Fortune 500 company. I mean, think about it. She's a college student, and she had her mm-hmm. aspiration, right? I mean, she was creating the vision and letting it come to her. I mean, I, I just thought that was a great headline. I'm an aspiring award-winning digital marketer for a Fortune 500 company, and she's a college student. Wonder, well, she's got a good attitude. She's forward-looking. She's proud. She's not shy, that's for sure. Right. Kirsten, I, I, I wanted to hire her. There you go. She's somebody you would want, and she's she's on the bold side. That's not the word I want to use, but this is polite radio. Kirsten and Jim, any comments on that headline? I think that's great. Uh, what a great way to, um, you know, tell your value statement. You are a great marketer and you want to work, you know exactly where you want to go, and that's fantastic. Very, um, it really tells people who you are and what, what you're all about. That's, that's what the headline is so key for. And because it follows you around on LinkedIn, um, you're, anybody that, that looks up anything that is in your profile, any keywords or looks up your name, they immediately see that and they know exactly what you're all about. That's, that's really, I find, the power of the headline. I absolutely agree uh, with you, Kurt, that it, your headline gets you the most bang for your buck. It, it follows you around on LinkedIn. It follows you around on Google, everywhere. And it is so, so key to being um, in the right place at the right time. Thank it you, It really Kristen. is the you... opportunity to make that first yep. impression, particularly for people who you encounter, you know, for the first time. It really is. And, and, and panel, let me just bring up one of the questions I included in my opening today. Um, I said, can a seasoned AE or a new salesperson succeed without having a digital footprint? And I'm going to make a footnote to that. Footprint, footnote, get it? I'm going to say, can they succeed if they have a weak digital footprint? Anybody want to take that? Well, let's start with, can they not be social online, the AE, and still get where they need to go or continue their career? Kurt, Kirsten, Jim, anybody? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's definitely possible, particularly if you're an experienced uh, sales professional and have um, connections, relationships, um, and understanding of you know the the market you call on and the accounts that that you call on. Um, and, and we see that a lot. You know, very senior people operate at a completely different level. Um, 
you know, when it comes to some of those relationships. But I think increasingly as you are somebody who's trying to build those relationships, um, you know, and build your patch and, and be able to, um, you know, have repeat business and accounts that, you know, you've, you've, you've opened the door to, it's, uh, it's a huge success factor to be able to um, leverage social networks and, and, you know, have a strong presence there. Thank you. Anybody else? Was that Jim? That was Jim. Okay. Let, let me turn to Jim. You know what? We've got nine minutes left till the end of the show. And Jim, I want to be fair. You spent a lot of time putting together notes for me before the show. And I want to give you a chance to, uh, two things I want to comment on. First of all, you say, I, your quote, Jim Field says, social selling is a bad name for what we're talking about. Give me a two sentence reason why, Jim Fields. Because it's not about selling. It's about building relationships and establishing yourself as a credible voice in the communities that you play in. And if you do that, then the selling will follow. Okay, thank you very much. And now let's go to the three things you say are key to social selling done well. Number one, voice. Number two, content. Number three, network. We've talked about these, around these, but since we've talked about content in the beginning, we talked about your network. Let's talk about voice a little bit. Jim? I think voice is... is probably the most important component of being um, successful in your engagements through social networks and in making social selling work for you. And by voice, I mean establishing yourself as somebody that people want to hear from, that they're open to listening to, um, that they're willing to be influenced by. And you do that by bringing a strong point of view to the table um, that's your own and uh, yes, you may be a representative of, you know, your brand and the, the organization you belong to, and, and people expect that, um, but you can't be a shill for that organization, right? Uh, people, people will turn you off quickly if, if that's the case. So if you come to the table with a strong point of view that's consistent over time, you deliver content and engage in conversations that help other people get smarter, that help other people make better connections, um, you know, your credibility alone will open doors because they trust you, right? At the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's what social networks are about. You want to be able to trust somebody. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've either accepted a connection on LinkedIn or joined a LinkedIn group mm-hmm. where within minutes people are spamming me and trying to hit me with their sure. products. And, and, you know, they're dead to me from that point on. Sure. And, and Jim, I get so many invitations on LinkedIn these days. And when I look up the, the, what the person does, I, I don't just accept unless I know who they are, but more and more they're recruiters. I'm not interested. I'm thrilled with where I am at my stage of my career. And I simply don't accept the invitation. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's not a network I want yeah. to build at this stage. And am I best, right? The best selling happens organically, right? A quick, quick story. We Recently had our large user conference down in Florida and had Jennifer Lopez as the as the musical act. Yeah, how was J Lo? By the way, she was fantastic. Uh, you... Good, so, glad of course, to hear. Uh, I took a picture of her on stage and posted it on my Facebook uh, page. I get a note from a woman who I work with, a colleague from 20 years ago, who's in the uh, life science business, and she says, "You know, I'm trying to find some software for a mid-sized company." in life sciences, but if you guys can afford to pay for J-Lo, you're too expensive for me. So that was an opportunity for me to go in a couple of different ways, right? So what I did was I reached out to her, and 
I explained that uh, partners actually pay for most of the cost of that concert, and so it's not, it's not us. But I also said, hey, why don't you talk to our CIO? Um, he, he implements all of our software for our, our own company. Um, mm-hmm. He can tell you what it's like for all the mid-sized companies around the world that he works with on a daily basis. And so I connected the two of them, who were both friends of mine on Facebook, and they had a conversation. And now, you know, they're they're considering us for, you know, for that um, for that organization. And so my point is, it's that was completely organic, right? You never know where that's going to come from. But the other the other point is. The, the how you listen and then what you do with what you hear is very important as well, right? You can either Jim, turn it into an opportunity or a problem. Great story, and I would say the subtext of what I believe you're sharing with us, Jim Fields, is don't react. Think, stop, look, listen, think about the voice, the network, the goal. Don't jump in with anger or hostility or how dare you or yup. Think about it and move it forward in a measured way, in a proactive, not reactive way. Am I on track here? Exactly. Yep. Good. I'm glad. We've had so many key words. I feel like we built a vocabulary list for social selling. But guess what? We have five minutes left till the end of the show, and it's time for us to move quickly into the predictions round. We call it the crystal ball. So, Kurt Shaver, I know you polished that off before the show. I'm going to give you one minute, Kurt. I'm sure you did. Kurt Shaver, I'm going to give you one minute. I like the year 2020 for future predictions on what's going to change about this topic, but you can pick any minute, second, hour, day, week, month, or year you like. I'm going to give you exactly 60 seconds to predict what will be different about our conversation. Social selling is your quota a click away in the future. Kurt Shaver at the Sales Foundry. Go. Yeah, I think 2020 is a good horizon. I looked at that number and thought it was really far away, and then I realized, wait a minute, it's four and a half years out. Um, So if we look at that, you know, I'd say that social selling practices are going to follow the typical technology adoption curve. I would agree with Jim that we are really still in the early adopter phase in terms of corporate adoption. Uh, Individual adoption is a little bit farther along. So I think over the next five years, we'll move through to where it's really a mainstream practice for B2B salespeople, and it'll only, if you're not using it, you'll be considered a a laggard, or there might be specific niches. Uh, But otherwise, I think the term social selling will probably disappear as social networks just become an ingrained communication channel like email and the telephone, right? They don't have their own special terminology. Ah, very interesting insights. And you're right, 2020 is just on the near horizon as we look at business and cycles. Thank you very much, Kirsten Boileau. I'll give you exactly one minute equal play time here for your predictions. How far in the future and what do you see, Kirsten? Go. I, I had the same thought as Kurt. 2020 seems so far away, and, and it really is not that far away. Um, but for me, I think in 2020, for most sales reps, um, it will be difficult to think of a time when they didn't include social in their mix of the way that they approach a customer, that it will, it will just be second nature, just like a phone call or an email or that cup of coffee in front of the customer will be is second nature to them now. Um, reaching out via social will be that... Um, just that next way of, of um, engaging with their customers and reaching out to new prospects. It will become part of their everyday lives. Thank you very much. And let's turn to Jim Fields. Jim, predictions, one minute. I'll give you actually a little tiny bit more than one minute. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. Go ahead. Hey, Bonnie, thanks. And this might be 
part of uh, another uh, Game Changer radio conversation at some point, but we haven't spoken that much about the consumer uh, mm-hmm. in, in today's call. And I think each one of us at the end of the day is a consumer, and brands are also selling to us in our private lives as well as, you know, in our B2B lives. And I think those things will continue to merge and become more and more one experience. And I think by 2020, the model will have morphed to the point where, so today, brands come at us, right? They Mm -hmm. listen to us online. They try and hit us with things that they think are relevant to us, both in the consumer and business space. And we're forced to kind of react to them on a kind of a individual serial basis, right? I think the consumer and the business consumer will take control of their own profiles to the points where to the point where they will control those interactions and they will tell brands how they want to be dealt with and will you know through how they establish their digital persona uh, will set the rules for what that engagement looks like. Because today it's on the other side of the fence, right? Today they're coming at us. In the future, we will be able to say, here's, here's what I care about, here's what's important to me, here's what will get through my filters, and here's what won't. And I think that will uh, appreciably change what these, this um, social selling and, and the whole world of digital discourse will look like. Thank you, Jim. Perfect. You took me right up to the end here. I want to do a shout-out to my three wonderful panelists, great conversationalists, good energy, great knowledge, Kurt Shaver at the Sales Foundry. Kurt, we'll just tell people to go and see what you do online at thesalesfoundry.com. Kirsten Boylow and Jim Fields at SAP. Shout-out to Akua Odoi, Romana Reidinger, and Reno Samuel at SAP for sponsoring the series. And Akua, you did all the heavy lifting on this one. Great topic, great panel. I told you it would all come together, Akua. Thanks for the tweets, Akua, Kirsten, and Nick Robinson. Good to have you joining us at Hashtag SAP Radio. Panelists, if Akua doesn't invite you back for part two, I'm inviting you on Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. You'll be hearing from me. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Thanks to Brad and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.